0: Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio. Today is Tuesday, May 18th, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. ALRPRA is a national law practice management agency headquartered in downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. Our six areas of activity are as follows. One, our legal work and staffing division called Pleading Drafter. Two, our PR and marketing division called Law Publicist. Three, our audit and compliance division. Four, the Law Publicist weekly online publication. Five, our monthly practice management and social media conference calls. And finally, number six, this radio program featuring guest speakers who present relevant practice tips and legal trends in various practice areas. Today's guest is nationally recognized immigration and criminal defense attorney, Sarah Elizabeth Dill, of the national law firm of Perry, Krumzyk & Jack, LLP. She's here today to discuss Arizona's State Bill 1070, SB 1070, the controversial immigration legislation recently signed into law by Governor Jan Brewer. Sarah is one of many who opine that this legislation seeks to usurp federal authority over immigration law, use racial and ethnic profiling to make arrests, and basically gives law enforcement officers and state criminal courts the power to enforce immigration law and make determinations of whether a person is lawfully in the country. Finally, it seeks to criminalize, for the first time, being present in the United States without documentation or authorization. Sarah will be discussing the specifics of the bill, why she believes it is unconstitutional, And what effect it will likely have, as well as the problems in actually implementing the specific provisions of the legislation. And by the way, you can do a simple Google search for SB 1070 to find a copy of the bill. Today, Sarah is going to cover the following topics. Number one, first, the Arizona State Bill 1070, what it actually says, and how it will be implemented. Second, the constitutionality of this law, as well as a discussion of federal versus state authority, third, arguments for and against the law, and finally, the national response. Before we begin today, we want to remind you that we broadcast every Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. And from time to time, we will bring you special broadcast episodes, such as this episode, where there is breaking news that you need to stay on top of your practice areas. We have a great show for you this afternoon. We'll open up for callers 30 minutes after we begin. Be sure to email your questions to info at which again is I-N-F-O at alrpra.com. Or you can also call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is area code nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two, and press option one to be placed in the queue. Today is again my uh, privilege to uh, bring you our guest, Sarah, Sarah Elizabeth Dill. How are you doing today? I'm
1: good, Nick. How are you?
0: Good. We were here last week and we talked a little about the Padilla versus Kentucky decision, and we had uh, led into some uh, thoughts on this current Arizona legislation. So. Well, I'm sure we're all dying to hear more information about it. So without further ado, I will let you run with it.
1: Great. Thank you, Nick. Uh, the first thing for our listeners, I'd like all of you to think about whether or not you carry your U.S. birth certificate, your naturalization certificate, or your passport with you. Nick, do you have any of those on you today?
0: I do not have any of those. Only my driver's license.
1: Okay. In Arizona, you might have a problem. Uh, but the most important point that I want to make before we re- we begin is to dispel a myth that has been going through the nation ever since this Arizona bill came to be and even before then. Being in the United States without documentation or authorization is not a crime. I repeat, it's not a crime. Uh, Under federal law, it's a civil violation to not have authorization or documentation, but it's not a criminal offense. So the federal government cannot put a person in jail for simply being in this country without authorization. Now, as you mentioned, uh, Arizona SB 1070, uh, which is also known as the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act, was passed in April and it goes into effect at the end of July. It is a result of a growing anti-immigrant sentiment in Arizona and shifting demographics. They have a larger Hispanic population than ever before in their history. Recent statistics show that for the younger generations, 18 to 49 years old, Hispanics actually outnumber white people, so to speak, as the, the statistics came out. There are also concerns of increased smuggling, drug trafficking, and crime along the border. However, most individuals involved in the smuggling and drug trafficking aren't true immigrants. They're not seeking to come and live in the United States. And recent polls show widespread support for the bill, but few people are actually educated about the law, the constitution, and what these laws mean even for United States citizens. There was one last-minute revision that if people haven't heard about this, I want to call your attention to because it somewhat changes the dialogue. In response to the outcry that resulted from the passage of this bill, the House in Arizona passed HB 2162 which sought to address one of the concerns but by basically, and by law, prohibiting use of racial or ethnic profiling by the police in determining who they can stop and question, meaning that the police have to have had a lawful basis to encounter someone, whether on the street or if the person was suspected of committing some other offense. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, uh, but the questions about an individual's immigration status can only be asked as part of an investigation of a non immigration related violation. Finally, the revision noted that prosecutors cannot investigate complaints based on race, color, and national origin. So, SB 1070. The first thing that it does that is the most problematic is it makes a person's undocumented or unauthorized presence in the U.S. a crime under state law. As I mentioned before, it's only a civil violation under federal law, and this provision of the bill allows for the arrest of a person where the police have a reasonable suspicion that an individual is unlawfully present and where the individual cannot produce the proper documentation. This obligates the police to make an attempt to determine a person's immigration status if the reasonable suspicion exists, and the person can be arrested if probable cause exists that the person is an alien and not in possession of required documents.
0: Sir, can I jump in and ask you a question? Is this the same reasonable suspicion standard we know from Terry versus Ohio? It's, or will you get to that?
1: I will, but I'll address it as long as you bring that up, oh. uh, because that is one of the issues. It should be the same as came out in the 1968 Supreme Court case of Terry versus Ohio. And that case held that under the Fourth Amendment, there's a prohibition against unreasonable searches and seizures an officer can stop and frisk a person if the officer observes articulable facts that make it reasonable to assume that the person is violating the law. In this case, the frisk would be the demand for documents. The problem of this is that what will constitute reasonable suspicion that a person is in the country without authorization or documentation, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor of California, who, as we all know, is a U.S. citizen but foreign-born, And he actually noted that because of this law, anyone with a foreign accent is at risk of being arrested and deported. And this is where the racial profiling problem comes in, because police will be looking at skin tone, physical characteristics, accented speech, proficiency in English, which then calls into question the Equal Protection Clause. And we'll get into some of these constitutional issues later, but that's exactly the problem is how are we going to determine what reasonable suspicion is that a person's here in violation of the law?
0: I agree. Thanks for uh, differentiating that for us.
1: So back to this uh, new criminal offense, and Arizona, as you mentioned, is the first state to make it a criminal offense to be in this country without authorization. The other problem that comes up is that a person under, the, under SB 1070 will not be released without confirmation of their legal immigration status by the federal government. And this is going to cause a huge problem in the system because determining whether or not a person is in the country lawfully is the province of the immigration courts, which are specifically set up, and there's a whole procedure for the courts to determine in an adversarial setting whether or not a person is legally in the country. If there is a requirement that this occur before a person is released from police custody, these individuals could be sitting in state custody for months, if not years. And what's interesting, too, about this law is the penalties, which were revised by the House bill that came out shortly after the law was first announced, is that for a first offense, it's a $100 fine, 20 days in jail, and court costs. And for a second offense, 30 days in jail. it's, so it sounds like a very minor misdemeanor offense, but then it remains the question of how is this going to be seen by the immigration courts, and is this really Arizona's concern of wanting to put people in jail for this, or is this their way of getting people into the immigration system, transferring the people to immigration authorities? And in the bill itself, it actually states that upon completion of the sentence, the person will be transferred to immigration authorities. Finally, the one argument that I guess could be made in support of this is that there are four things that a person can show that would give a presumption that the person is lawfully present. A valid Arizona driver's license, a valid Arizona ID card that can't be used for driving, a tribal enrollment card, and any other state, federal, or local ID that requires proof of legal presence in the U.S. as a condition of issuance, which many states have now Strengthened the requirements and documentation that you must show in order to receive a driver's license. I know here in the state of Illinois, myself as a U.S. citizen had to take in my passport, my previous driver's license, my social security card, my birth certificate, and even then I had to show additional documentation of my residence within the state of Illinois. So for someone who's not even a U.S. citizen, the documentation required to show that you're lawfully here they see that as if you have the driver's license or ID, that should be enough for the officer to say, okay, you can go. So that's the first part of SB 1070. That's the first big change. The second change is that it requires that state and local law enforcement officials enforce federal immigration law and prohibits them from limiting or restricting enforcement. Where this becomes a problem is that Arizona citizens can now sue police departments, agencies, or other branches of the government if the citizen does not feel that they are enforcing the laws properly. The other problem that comes out of this is that there was previously a program called 287G, which we discussed a little bit last week, where local and state law enforcement agencies are deputized and allowed to enforce immigration law under the I guess, supervision of the federal government. In April of this year, Department of Homeland Security Inspector General released a report confirming that civil rights abuses had occurred widespread under the 287G program, arrests occurred based on no evidence, solely so officers could determine whether the person had lawful immigration status, and the Homeland Security found that because of this program, immigrants were hesitant to talk to police and report crimes. They called upon Homeland Security to terminate the program and cut funding, finding that state and local law enforcement officers were not well trained in and were not able to enforce immigration law. So for Arizona to now make this a requirement seems to be in direct conflict with 287 g So that's where we're at with SB 1070. Two other portions that aren't as significant, it's a crime to be hired or hire individuals for work, the day laborers you see at Home Depot and other places, from a vehicle that blocks traffic.
0: From a vehicle? So if a vehicle is blocking traffic, I can't hire them? No. Okay.
1: And or if you're in a vehicle, <laughs> let's say you have a large van, you've got a, you're have got you building a house, you need to bring some people in to paint or put carpeting down and things like that, and your van is blocking traffic as you're trying to get laborers in to have them work for the day, you can be arrested for that.
0: Oh, my.
1: And so, and that basically, you know, the the other provision that's problematic, and I'll talk briefly about some of the parts of the bill that aren't necessarily bad, but the final problematic one is that it raises criminal penalties for sheltering, hiring, transporting undocumented aliens. Where this becomes an issue is that under federal law, especially in the smuggling context, if you smuggle in your own relative, if you smuggle in your spouse or your child or someone of some other immediate relative, the federal government isn't going to go after you for that. They recognize that you're bringing in a family member. Arizona does not make that exception. The other thing that the Arizona law does, and I read through the bill a number of times because I just couldn't believe this, is that let's say your sister's married to an undocumented person and you have them in your house for dinner you could be criminally liable for harboring an undocumented alien. How am
0: I supposed to know if they're legally here or not?
1: There is a knowing element to this, but as broad-reaching as this law was written, it, that's the kind of situation that it could encompass.
0: Sarah, I'm beside myself and scared to invite people over. Before we take a short break, can you recap those problematic issues? Just a quick list.
1: Sure, it's now a crime under state law to be in this country without authorization, which is directly conflicting with federal, which only makes a civil penalty. Mm-hmm. You police are required to enforce immigration law, and citizens can sue. There are now criminal criminal penalties for sheltering, hiring, transporting, or harboring an undocumented alien. And if you have a vehicle that's blocking traffic, you can't hire people to come work for you.
0: Watch your vehicles, everyone. Let's pause real quickly for a message from one of our sponsors. By the way, you're listening to ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio, where we bring you the experts and attorneys who share the tips and trends and latest updates that matter to your law practice. Also, when you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet, law, and advertising law. You can find the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Like button on the law firm's business page, you will receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the very rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now going back to Sarah Elizabeth Dill, we'll just give you her quick bio. Sarah Elizabeth Dill's practice focuses on immigration, criminal defense, international law, and sports law in Chicago, Miami, and Milwaukee. Prior to joining Perry, Krumziak, and Jack, Sarah ran her own successful law firm in Miami, Florida, where she represented individuals and corporations before the Immigration Service, Immigration Courts, and provided criminal defense representation in state and federal courts. Prior to that, she was a trial lawyer for a nonprofit immigration agency in the Miami-Dade Public Defender's Office. Sarah has extensive trial and appellate experience. Sarah is currently serving as the co-chair of the American Bar Association. Criminal Justice Section's Immigration Committee. For the last two years, Sarah has been appointed as a commissioner for the ABA Commission on Immigration. She also serves on the ABA Criminal Justice Council. Sarah served as the chair of the ABA Young Lawyer Division Criminal and Juvenile Justice Section from 2006-2007. Sarah you have been busy. and now you're keeping up on and reading and detailing and really knowing uh, you know everything there's to know about this, uh, this legislation. So our hats off to you. you must be very busy.
1: Thank you, Nick. Yes, it has been a very busy time and hopefully it will continue to do so as we'll talk about a little bit later with immigration reform and really educating the public about what the laws are and where we need to have where we need reform. I don't think there's anyone out there on either side of this issue that thinks that we don't need to do something about it.
0: I think you're right. So
1: The problem is, as we've talked about, Arizona did the wrong thing in this case. Uh, so we have this new law coming out of Arizona, and we talked about the racial profiling, the regional suspicion. The other problem that comes about in this is what is this going to lead to if, They're going to require that somebody show documentation that they're legally in the United States. Do U.S. citizens need to carry something? Does someone who has dark hair, dark eyes, and a darker skin tone need to carry their passport with them or their birth certificate in case they get stopped? I know a lot of individuals who are U.S. citizens who either were born abroad, but to United States citizen parents, or lived abroad for a number of years, Or became a citizen through some other means, but their appearance and their accent might lead a law enforcement officer to stop them and question them and think that they're here unlawfully. And this has led, in recent years, numerous stories. Anyone who goes to Google and does a search can find examples of citizens of the United States who are being detained and even deported based on local law enforcement or immigration's erroneous determination of the person's deportable. I know I gave an example on last week's show, and there are countless other examples, and it's often the elderly, those who are have disabilities, aren't able to articulate things, that they're not able to provide the documentation. Most notably, here in Illinois, there's a case that was filed because a man was falsely imprisoned, and. Even when his brother arrived with his naturalization certificate, law enforcement still did not release him because they didn't think that he was a U.S. citizen. Many other examples of this exist, and if we're having this problem on the federal side that even immigration is deporting people or not allowing people into the country based on their determination, how are local agencies supposed to deal with this?
0: It seems so difficult, and um, you know when you mentioned that someone could be unlawfully detained, the the issue spotting triggers in my head are going off, um, and I'm wondering what are someone's, uh, you know, what, what happens when someone calls you and says, I've been unlawfully detained, do I, you know, what are my rights, do I have a civil action, and, and who would it be against, and what is, you know, how, can you speak on that?
1: I can. There are... Civil remedies. How these are going to play out remains to be seen.
0: So, being the towering, okay.
1: And, but there certainly could be, you know, the various state tort claim actions as well as the federal 1983 action. Mm-hmm. Especially in these situations where, you know, the case in Illinois, I question what's going to happen with this one because, if they actually had the naturalization certificate there and they still did not release him, that then calls into question whether the officers are going to be protected by qualified immunity or whether they came outside of that were in the face of this evidence that the person was legally in the united states they had no other reason to detain him
0: qualified immunity yet they can be yet yet they're liable on not enforcing i mean it's the things these don't square
1: exactly and you know as one of the issues with this law i think and you know when we start talking about the national response is that Arizona rushed to do something, and there was an incident in Arizona right before this law came to be that it was a knee-jerk reaction, and this is an area where comprehensive reform is needed, but it needs to be looked at very carefully, and it needs to be done by the experts. So, uh, again, public opinion played a role in this, and what we really need to do at this point is look at why immigration has become so problematic. Why is state responses, why are these coming to play? And the two main things that cause problems here are one, there's been an expansion of the list of crimes that trigger or require deportation. We talked about a lot of those on last week's show. And primarily the definition of an aggravated felony, the fact that removal from the U.S. is now a consequence of almost every non-misdemeanor and even some misdemeanors, and that was the reasoning behind Padilla versus Kentucky, is that the Supreme Court recognized that deportation is a severe penalty, it's not just a consequence, and individuals need to be informed about this. And they talk about how complex immigration law is, how complex relief is, how it's very fact-specific, and the Arizona law basically is seeking to have state criminal courts make this determination. How are you going to convict someone of being in the country without authorization without going through the entire analysis that immigration courts undertake?
0: This would ta- it's, it would take, you know, if you imagine a roadside stop would take forever. I mean, it's like border patrol, you know, everywhere.
1: Exactly. And for police to be trying to make these very highly technical legal determinations in a short time frame just simply is not possible. The other issue that comes to play is that you have avenues of relief that are available to people that, for example, an asylum seeker. Somebody may have fled their home country. They come to the United States. They're only here a few days. They need to get in touch with an immigration attorney or someone else who can help them file their application for asylum and make their claim. Yet before they can do that, they're picked up by the police. They have no documentation. And the police aren't going to be in a position to make that determination. A determination of an asylum case is the province of immigration. And so there's really going to be a problem with basically Arizona trying to implement immigration law and make decisions on these cases that are the sole province of the immigration court. It's, I
0: see this it's federalism, federalism, <laughs> federalism. <laughs> and, oh,
1: and, what
0: you know, my other question you know, – sorry, I started to, to jump in, but, you know, the – The thing that scares me the most is other states nearby, you know, taking a monkey-see-monkey-do approach and passing other similar things. That just seems like you could do so much damage, it would be almost impossible to undo the damage. So I don't (laughs) Go on.
1: Fortunately, no other states have put anything forward yet, and it looks like they're going to wait to see what happens with Arizona. But the other issue that comes to play with this is that, you know, we have a broken immigration system. And we need reform. We need reforms of the laws. We need reforms of the courts. There's a lot of work and research being done by the experts, by law firms, by organizations such as ALA and the American Bar Association that we're basically giving Congress what they need to reform. They just need to actually do it. The other problem we've had is that violations of immigration laws, some of them are now federal crimes. Simply being here is not a federal crime, but if you're deported, you come back in, that is a federal crime. Identity theft, passport fraud, smuggling, those types of things are federal crimes. However, immigration law in and of itself is becoming more and more punitive, but it still has not been found to be criminal. Therefore, your due process protections and a lot of the other procedural safeguards don't necessarily apply. So now with Arizona moving towards that and making this criminal, we now have to re examine the immigration system because if someone doesn't have these protections in the immigration system and then they're suddenly criminally liable under immigration Arizona state law, you're going to have a lot of problems with how to mesh these two systems, which leads to the federalism concerns that you raised. And, you
0: know, and another thing, another concern might be the uh, you know, the potential racket going on between, you know, law enforcement stopping everyone um, it's good for criminal defense. I mean, I don't mean to call it a racket, but, uh, you know, you've got, you know, one thing insist upon the other, and all of a sudden immigration becomes a cash cow.
1: It really, you know, and the problem is that in immigration court, you have no right to appointed representation. And the statistics on the number of individuals that aren't represented in immigration court are staggering. If you go and sit in any immigration courtroom in this country, I would – you'll be shocked at how many people appear before the judge and they do not have an attorney representing them, which, you know, it causes even more problems than when you're talking about the state criminal offenses and also how many criminal defense attorneys, as we talked about last week with Padilla, how many criminal defense attorneys are going to be able to make the immigration argument if they don't have experience in the field and how are they going to defend against these cases.
0: Very good point.
1: So last thing before we get to federalism, the equal protection issue. Uh, This is a major part of the legislation and the problems we have in it, but basically the 14th Amendment to the Constitution has the Equal Protection Clause. We hear about it a lot. It says that no state shall deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Brown versus Board of Education, a case that almost everyone knows about, basically said that this clause operates as a general restraint on the government's power to discriminate against people based on their membership in certain classes, including race and ethnicity. Arizona SB 1070 clearly discriminates based on race and ethnicity. I cannot imagine any other grounds that officers will use other than a person's appearance, their race, their ethnic background in these situations. And in everything I've read that's come out, opinions, blogs, everything on this law, I have not seen one example that is not race or ethnic-based as to how how or why police could stop an individual and question them as to immigration. So turning to the Supremacy Clause and federalism. This law clearly, and I do not refrain from speaking so strongly on this, is a violation of the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution.
0: Which says?
1: Federal laws, when the Constitution gives the federal government the power to legislate about something, federal government, those laws are supreme. States cannot enact laws that can conflict with that. And the federal government clearly has authority over immigration laws, foreign policy, foreign affairs, issues involving naturalization, which is immigration. For example, states cannot make their own foreign policy, states cannot enter into treaties. The control of the border, federal government has control of the border. That's why we have Customs and Border Patrol. Any state attempt to regulate the border, any of these things, is preempted by federal law. And in this case, we clearly have a federal legal system over immigration. We have specific immigration courts that are set up by the federal government. The prosecutors in these courts are all federal government employees. ICE, CBP, all the branches of Homeland Security are federal agencies. Now, Arizona's response to this, which I think is the most frightening thing that I've ever read, they state that this is just concurrent enforcement. It's not conflicting with federal law, that they're only paralleling what the federal law does. The author of SB 1070, the person who wrote this legislation, stated, and this is a direct quote, Arizona only penalizes what is already a crime under federal law.
0: Once more, can we hear
1: that again? Arizona only penalizes what is already a crime under federal law.
0: We're going to be right back with more from Sarah Dill, but we thought we'd end on uh, that quote right there from the author of SB uh, 1070, who believes that it is a crime to be. uh, So, okay, well, Uh, Before we get back, we want to tell you about one of our other sponsors, um, Mr. Jim Thompson. If you want more clients now, there's a seasoned attorney you need to talk to. Jim Thompson's program is called the Get Clients Now program, and he will help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook. Search Get Clients Now on Facebook. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability, gear that, personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson again by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Net. For those of you just now tuning in, this is ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio and we're talking with Sarah Elizabeth Dill, who is telling us about the impact of Arizona's new immigration law. Now we are, by the way, open for callers, so callers, please call in and ask your questions. Don't be shy. Dial area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. Again, that is area code 917-889-9732, and option one. We're now going back to Sarah Elizabeth Dill, who left us with that amazing quote. Can we have it one more time?
1: Yes. The author of SB 1070 said that Arizona only penalizes what is already a crime under federal law.
0: Okay. Run with that.
1: That is the most untrue statement that could possibly exist, and for me, it's scared me that this law could go through the Arizona legislature, be passed into law, signed into law by the governor, and because it, that is completely untrue. Federal laws, I mentioned at the start of this and cannot emphasize enough, makes being here undocumented and without authorization only a civil violation. And so right on its face, the fact that Arizona is making it a criminal offense is in clear violation of the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, And on that basis alone, I can see that part of the law being struck down. It's likely that any decision on this will require a U.S. Supreme Court decision. The Department of Justice is monitoring this. There's a chance they may write an amicus brief. We'll talk a little bit more about some of the cases that are being filed. Uh, Before we get to that, just a few other things about the constitutionality and the impact of this this law. One thing that I noted, and and actually reading some of the blogs and responses to this law, if we're going to make immigration violations criminal, currently under the case laws arising out of the Fifth Amendment, where you have a right not to incriminate yourself, booking questions, identification questions, all of those basic things, your name, your date of birth, your place of birth, aren't covered by the Fifth Amendment because they're considered to just be general identification questions. The problem, is that now, these questions directly lead to the elements of the offense. And if, in fact, this law goes into effect in July, and it is now a crime to be in this country without authorization, your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination may start from the very outset, which means Miranda applies, all the protections of Miranda, your fifth amendment applies so that you do not even have to give the police your name. And this is going to and this is something I wonder if the drafters of the legislation even considered. That how are they even going to have any information about a person other than maybe their driver's license. So this is another area where there are some constitutional concerns.
0: Sarah, let me jump in and ask you this question that maybe this would be easy to have you know and what are the legal implications i suppose of let's say having your driver's license through DMV connected with a copy that you run that and the cops could you know on their screen it shows you know i don't know has anyone talked about that is that or is that my idea
1: the problem i mean are you saying that it would there'd would be some connection to immigration well
0: potentially having you know if those documents do exist mm-hmm then they would be retrievable easily uh, by a patrol officer in a squad car when you run the driver's license number. It seems like a pretty obvious you know, possibility. I don't know.
1: The problem is, imagine that you're traveling to Italy. You're going there for a month-long vacation. Ciao. You don't have any status in the country other than a visitor. Good point. Imagine how many people are in the United States every year that are just visitors or maybe it's someone who has a pending application or, you know, it's. then this is why our immigration system is so complex and there are so many problems with it. You can have individuals who have an order of deportation, but their case is on appeal. The, the system will show them as having been ordered deported, but the system may not necessarily show that the person has an appeal, there's a stay attached to that appeal, and so they're still in the country lawfully. but a police officer, and so that's why this is something that needs to stay within the province of the federal government, and the federal government needs to fix the system that they have, because even the systems within the federal government. I was recently at an immigration office working with an officer on a case. He had to go between two different computers to enter in all of the same information about my client, because the, two, the computer systems used by two different entities under Homeland Security were not on the same system. <laughs> I, I, I see your face. I wish our I wish our listeners could see. You just have shock. And this is I mean, and so this is the problem that I mean. We're taking a federal system that's a mess, and then we're going to expand it into state law enforcement and try to have a uniform system. It's just not possible. So you have this issue of self-incrimination. How the police are going to make this determination, and. The other thing that gets into this, and which I thought it was interesting, that the Arizona Chief of Police Association filed a lawsuit in response to this law. Chief of Police Association. And also police officers have filed lawsuits because their concern is that this is going to discourage immigrants from reporting crimes or cooperating from law enforcement because if it's any lawful basis to encounter a person that then requires the police to inquire into their immigration status, If someone reports a serious crime, let's say a victim of a rape or battery or attempted murder, the police, just in their investigation, are now required to ask that person about their immigration status. If the person's undocumented, they're not going to want to tell the police what happened. They're not going to want to assist, and so you're going to have this entire class of individuals that will be victimized and will have no recourse, which even under federal law, the mere fact they were a victim of the crime and cooperate with law enforcement, there are now visas for these people that we give to them to say you were a victim of a crime, you helped our country you know, prosecute, we're going to let you stay in this country and become a resident because of that. So Arizona's law is essentially going to make this visa a nullity because who, no one's going to want to cooperate. And many jurisdictions around the country actually tell their officers, do not inquire into immigration because word will get out in the communities and people will not want to help law enforcement.
0: Oh, my. I see this on my, um, again, issue spotting problems. And I wonder if Arizona, I know many states have a mandatory arrest law under their domestic violence statutes, and I wonder if Arizona does too. Um, you know, there's just an, an officer on scene responding to any sort of a call has liability, you know, far you know, beyond, You know, just you know, besides immigration and this you know, bill, Um, So I, again, see more problems.
1: Definitely. So the response to this bill, uh, it's been all over the news. It's being talked about on the streets, in houses, everywhere. And the supporters of the legislation, as you mentioned, other states could enact it. There are states that are considering it. Uh, Florida, a very immigrant-heavy state, at the outset they said, we can't believe this. We don't want anything to do with it. Now they're actually starting to say, "Well, maybe we do need something like this."
0: I wonder who's in charge and how much of this is political. I, I mean, this came right on the heels of the health care bill being enacted, and I just, I'm not, I'm not saying causation, um, but I can sure see a correlation. I'll let that be uh, in the heads of those listening.
1: Definitely. Uh, what's interesting, and as I. There are a lot of statistics and polls. I mean, they're all over the place, every news station. And I'm just going to go through a few of these because I found it a little bit puzzling and perhaps telling as to why better education is needed of America as we debate this issue, discuss what to do about it, and as we engage in actual federal immigration reform. A Rasmussen report indicated that 60% of Americans were in favor of legislation allowing local police to stop and verify the immigration status of anyone they suspect of being an illegal immigrant. Okay, the term illegal immigrant, I leave that aside. The U.S. Supreme Court rejected that phrase, but in that same poll, 58% of Americans were concerned that efforts to identify and deport illegal immigrants will also end up in the violation of the civil rights of some (laughs) U.S. citizens. I mean, there's, there's a disconnect there that, you know, we recognize that this is going to result in civil rights violations, which we don't want to do. We don't want any laws that are going to result in civil rights violations. 51% of Americans are in favor of SB 1070. But Fox News had the most interesting poll because 61% of Americans thought it was right for Arizona to take action rather than wait for the federal government to act on immigration reform. And I think that right there is a sign that there's really been a lack of education in the American public about the legal system, about basic civics issues, and when the federal government has power and when the states do.
0: And I, instead of you, I will blame Fox News personally.
1: <laughs> but so this is something that you know, it just I can't enforce enough that the federal government has sole control over the borders and matters involving naturalization, foreign policy, immigration. And Mm -hmm. that is who should undertake immigration reform, not the states. Now, those against the legislation. Very strong criticism. Uh, President Obama and the Cinco de Mayo festivities at the White House spoke out about it, saying that this law is misguided and would undermine basic notions of fairness that we cherish as Americans, as well as the trust between police and our communities that is so crucial to keeping us safe. He's called for comprehensive reform of federal immigration law. Congress even asked Arizona to delay implementation of this law until it could pass comprehensive immigration reform. And Republicans and Democrats alike in Congress say, we need to do something about it.
0: So there's a consensus with conservatives and Republicans in the House that reform is needed short of, you know, it would have been better than having this law.
1: Definitely. And I I don't think there's anyone who disagrees that reform is needed, how this reform will take place is obviously going to be a very hotly contested issue. What's interesting is that the Secretary of Homeland Security, who is the former governor of Arizona, Janet Napolitano, quoted she had deep concerns about the law, and she actually vetoed similar legislation when she was the governor of Arizona. So, And you have concern about this coming from all sectors. As I mentioned, the police organizations are against this bill. Employers and universities are concerned about students, professors, everything else, who are on visas, uh, the H-1B employees who are here on visas. I mean, this is going to be a problem for so many people. You have organized protests around the country. Private companies are boycotting Arizona, canceling conferences. The city of Los Angeles now prohibits contracts with any company headquartered in Arizona. Wow. Major League Baseball is talking about moving the 2011 All-Star Game, there are concerns among the teams about holding te- spring training there because of the number of athletes that could be targeted under the law. Uh, the World Boxing Association is not going to be sending any of their Mexican boxers to any of the fights in Arizona because their boxers could be under this law. Closer to home, we've had protests at Wrigley Field when the Diamondbacks were here. Last night at the Marlins game in Florida, there were protests against SB 1070. And I mean, even most notably, there's all over the news here in Chicago a high school girls' basketball team is not going to a tournament in Arizona because of concerns that there may be girls on the team who are either undocumented or their parents are undocumented. I
0: had no idea that there was such a national reaction of uh, people gathering together and rallying in opposition to this. That's impressive.
1: So, you know, and finally, we've had the lawsuits filed. Uh, A Latino Christian group and an Arizona police officer were the first to file suit. And what's interesting to note for our listeners is that the Phoenix police officer sued, and one of the contentions he made was that the law would require him to ask children he encounters during the day while on duty at an elementary school if they are in the country legally.
0: Wow. Sarah, before we discuss some of the final key points, let's pause a moment. Thank you again to all our listeners for tuning in to ALRPRA Weekly Law Practice Management Radio, where we bring you the experts and attorneys who share the tips, trends, and latest updates that matter to your law practice. Another note from one of our sponsors, Bridges Court Reporting provides the luxuries that premier law firms need, extending far beyond the professional courtesies and style that make Bridges Court Reporting a well-known name nationwide the Bridges website and software that allows you to access your transcripts and exhibits as well as schedule from any computer with Internet access. Again, all your transcripts and exhibits as well as scheduling from any computer with Internet access. Before long, you'll wonder why you ever used another court reporting agency. Conveniently located across the street from the Daily Center, Bridges court reporters are ready to serve all of your client court reporting and transcription needs please visit BridgesCourtReporting.com. Again, BridgesCourtReporting.com for more information and to schedule your next court reporter. I want to remind callers, again, that if you have any questions, please feel free to call in and ask Attorney Sarah Elizabeth Dill about this bill or uh, immigration or relevant issues. The telephone number, again, area code 917 889-9732, Eight eight nine nine seven three two option one for the caller queue again nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two and option one. Let's get back to our final segment with attorney Sarah Elizabeth Dill from the Chicago and Miami offices of Perry Crumziek and Jack. And Sarah, before we uh, close out, uh, why don't you let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you?
1: Sure, Nick. Uh, I can be reached by email s dill d i l l at pkjlaw.com you can also visit our law firm's website at www.pkjlaw.com and uh if you want to reach us by telephone 305-577-9466 and we're you know we have a great immigration practice we have a lot of lawyers who in light of everything that's been going on want to become more involved with immigration and it's certainly something that we see the need to get involved in these issues.
0: Well, it's really great that uh, someone like yourself is working so hard to champion this, uh, you know, cause for reform. And as, uh, as I understand it, um, you've been pretty active in that.
1: I have. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, I serve on the ABA Commission on Immigration and. Uh, Earlier this year, we released an executive summary, and just today, we released the full report of the findings that our commission, with the wonderful pro bono help of Arnold and Porter in Washington, D.C., put together an amazing report that is basically a recommendation for reform of the immigration court system in the United States.
0: Now, is that available online?
1: It is available online. Uh, If you go to the American Bar Association's website, visit the Commission on Immigration. Uh, you can find the report. Uh, there will also be press releases. I can make it available to ALP, ALRPRA's website, as well. Uh, but it is something that you know we have been really pushing for reform. But again, as I said, you know the report that got released today is the result of almost two years of work, and this is working with private immigration attorneys, professors, judges, individuals within DOJ and the Department of Homeland Security, and an examination of the laws, what's worked, statistics, it's a very comprehensive report. That is how a law that addresses immigration and other serious issues should be made. It should not be the result of quick, just throw-together legislation that doesn't examine all of the implications and ramifications that a law would have under state and federal law, which is essentially what Arizona did in this case.
0: And certainly doing your homework to find out whether something is a crime or not would be advantageous, I would think.
1: You'd think. And, you know, what's been so interesting about this law is that it gets passed, it gets signed into the law by the governor despite thousands of phone calls, letters, everyone speaking out about it. I mean, when you have the federal government telling you, hold on, don't do this, there are some problems, you'd think you should sit back and not do anything or say maybe we need to reexamine this, which they did in part, but what really became interesting is that Tucson and Flagstaff, Arizona, sued over this law. Two of the largest cities in Arizona, other than Phoenix, suing the state because of this law. And that, to me, says that when they were looking at passing this law, they didn't consult the cities. They didn't consult the police departments. They didn't consult the police chiefs. I don't know who they consulted when they were determining whether or not to pass this law. But when you have your own cities suing about this and your police officers, obviously there's a problem. Obviously there's a disconnect. And whether this was something that the politicians in Arizona wanted to do. I mean, you had John McCain in the hours before this bill was passed and signed into law, all of a sudden championing it, going back on everything he'd ever said on immigration reform and suddenly speaking out in favor of this law as he was facing a very tough primary in the state of Arizona.
0: So John McCain was opposed to some of the reform earlier and then flipped on it? Flipped on it. No kidding.
1: So, you know, this does become an issue. And while I understand that Arizona, a state that is heavily affected by border issues and, you know, has a very big problem with crime, federal enforcement of immigration law is what needs to occur. That enforcement, we know it's flawed. We know the laws are flawed. There needs to be reform. And when we have such a complex immigration system with such confusing requirements and harsh results for even the simplest mistakes, such as forgetting one form or one document with an application.
0: Or parking your truck in the wrong place.
1: (laughs) In Arizona. But the federal system is where we need to make the reform. And absent an amendment to the Constitution states have no authority to do what they did in this case. And I hope that other states will refrain from passing similar legislation, that the federal courts will do the right thing in deciding these cases, and maybe it is something that the Supreme Court needs to immediately take up and say, we're going to step in, we need to decide this. There was a similar issue in California about 10 or 15 years ago, and unfortunately, the case only went as far as the Ninth Circuit and the decision doesn't necessarily state, it doesn't decide the federalism issue, definitely. And so in this situation, I mean, this may be the time for the Supreme Court to step in, given how active they've been on immigration issues, the understanding that the current court has. Uh, it's definitely something needs to be done, and hopefully Congress will be able to come together and get something passed within the very near future that does reform immigration and address a lot of the concerns that Arizona has.
0: Let me ask a quick question about the U.S. Supreme Court. And I know that there has uh, been an individual, um, you know, sort of slated, and I apologize for not keeping up on that, but do you know if that individual has commented um, on any of this? And by the way, we'd love to have her on the show, if anyone can uh, get us a direct link. Uh,
1: Yes. Uh, Elena Kagan, who uh, was the current Solicitor General, Uh, has been appointed by President Obama to be the next Supreme Court Justice.
0: Former law professor, right?
1: Former law professor. Uh, She was here at the University of Chicago. Constitutional law. University
0: of Chicago. Okay, probably knows something about this stuff.
1: She was also the dean at Harvard. And, you know, she has not – there isn't a lot about her on immigration. and But the fact that she is such a knowledgeable person as to constitutional law – and where some of her writings have stood on constitutional issues, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, it was the same thing with Sotomayor when she was appointed that no one really knew for sure how would she would come out on immigration issues, and yet in one of her first opinions on the court, she was the one who used the term undocumented alien, in terms in terms rather than using the previously used illegal immigrant, which is a misnomer. And... So it will, you know, I I'm sure that the confirmation hearings with Elena Kagan are going to focus on immigration. Uh, there's going to be a lot of this that comes into play, and uh, how that plays out. You know, whether she's able to dodge the questions or whether she gives us some insight. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously she's no longer Solicitor General. She stepped down. Uh, I actually just got notice in one of my cases that she is no longer opposing counsel before the U.S. Supreme Court, Uh, and it was an immigration case, so I was hoping that maybe I'd see how she'd respond to that, but, you know, this definitely will be an issue for her confirmation hearings.
0: Certainly, certainly, and I know that once she, you know, if she, if and when she is confirmed, that pretty much closes the ability for her to appear on ALR PRA radio, so (laughs) anyone who has Elena Kagan's number uh, can, uh, you know, forward that along and uh, we'll invite her. Um, so uh, you know so many other uh any any other last um uh thoughts sarah on um on the procedural issues or what attorneys out there you know maybe you know because we do broadcast nation- nationwide um, what if we do have someone in, let's say in arizona or a, a california attorney who's also uh you know licensed in arizona and may have clients you know what, what recourse, what do they do if they get a phone call from someone who has been, um, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, the victim of this unfortunate piece of uh, state legislation?
1: The good news is we still have another two months or so before this goes into effect. And a lot can happen in that time. The cases have already been filed in federal court. Uh, Department of Justice is obviously involved. There's a lot of economic pressure on Arizona. I mean, they are losing millions and millions of dollars because of this. Uh, Whether that has any effect, whether they decide to hold off or repeal this bill, they may do so. Uh, But if it does go into effect in July, you know, for criminal defense attorneys, again, you know, we talked last week about it with the Padilla decision, they need to get an immigration attorney involved because most criminal defense attorneys out there do not know enough about the immigration system. And what the Arizona law does in terms of bond and other things, this now makes it impossible for a non-citizen to bond out while their criminal case is pending. And previously it was only if immigration placed a hold on the person said no, detain them, they're not allowed to bond out, they need to stay in custody until their criminal case closes, then we'll take custody. Now, I mean, the jails are going to be overcrowded in Arizona and so if there is an immigration issue, it's gonna be something that's gonna need to be addressed because if you can get proof that the person's legally in the U.S. or get immigration to step in on this, you need to do that right away.
0: All right. Well, everyone, listeners out there, um, a call to action. Be informed. Be aware. July, this could be in effect or not in effect. So we'll see what happens. But there's definitely a lot stirring. It's an interesting time to be not only a lawyer, but a U.S. citizen or anyone you know paying attention to this. So again, I'd like to thank our immigration and criminal defense attorney, Sarah Elizabeth Dill, for sharing such great information on the recent adoption of Arizona's controversial immigration law. Thank you, Sarah.
1: Thank you, Nick, for having me.
0: No problem. We love having you. We'd like to, we'll like we'll certainly have her back to find out what happens. Um, again, I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in to ALRPR Radio. And today's sponsors, number one, the Intellectual Property Law, uh, law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme, Secondly, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group, and finally, Debbie Bridges of Bridges Court Reporting. ALRPRA Incorporated's mission is to educate the legal community on relevant law practice management issues and to help our law firms spend more time serving their clients by professionally managing their production and promotion activities. Our mission's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when professional quality matters to your firm. Thank you again, and please tune in next coming Thursday, May 20th, for our next broadcast in our seven-part series on credit damages. We will be chatting again with national credit damage expert, Mr. George Finder. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time.